You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! Well, here we are, episode 2 slash 323 of The Dice Men Cometh, Australia's most radio-based board game show. Sure are. All about tabletop game, anything that you can do on, around, near a table, hopefully that involves friends, family, consenting adults, dice, meeples, cubes, pushing things to one square to another and turning something into something a little bit more spectacular to ultimately have that prize of the most victory points. So this is Garth. I'm joined by Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Garth. And yourself? I'm extra good, and we are even not joined by Leon, which makes me ever so happy. He's away somewhere in the annals of chocolate making, so he will not be here for this particular episode. Oh, well, he's lost because, Garth... We've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, which includes... Well, so much. But it's all about space in tonight's episode. Or, in fact, spice in space. That's right. It's spice, space, space, spice, because we are talking not one, but two different versions of Dune. We're talking the original old school Dune that goes back to... Probably when you were a kid, Mark, or at least a, a slightly younger adult, because it was originally out in 1979. Great year. Anyone born in 1979, very good looking. <laughs> and then we're going to compare and contrast it to a much more recent example of Dune, but much more an imperial style. So we're talking original Dune, at, albeit a recent reprint, and Dune Imperium, which has skyrocketed into popularity and it's something that we will be talking about in, in how popular this particular version of Dune is, I think, Mark. Yeah, and clearly, you know, these games were lined up, uh, in the case of Dune Imperium, lined up to come out basically just as the film hit the studios or just before. And then a little thing called COVID came along and that movie got pushed back a couple of years. Um, so the fact that they've done so well with the movie only being out for what, two, two and a half months now? S perhaps there's something about it. But who knows? We don't want to sabotage our uh, lead-in and give away what might be we might be talking about, Garth, because you're here with the Dice Man Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hi, this is Ella from Ella Loves Board Games, and my favorite podcast is The Dice Men Cometh. Well, there you have it, the Beastie Boys with Sabotage here on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and you're listening, as usual at this time, every second Thursday evening, it is The Dice Men Cometh. You're here with Mark and Garth. Now, Garth. Yes. What you, what you, what you want to tell me about board games tonight? Well, I'm not going to talk about too many board games, just two of them, if that's all right, Mark. And I hope you're going to join me in that conversation. I definitely will. Because we're not going wide, we're not going broad, we're going very specific. We're choosing a galaxy that's maybe or maybe not far, far, far away. away. 
But it is definitely not a long time ago. It's it's in the future, this this particular one, where Dune is, is a long time in the future. And we're going to start with the, the original, the game from 1979 that then came out again in 2019. Frank Herbert's Dune is a sci-fi book, series of books, that is at the top of a lot of people's lists. Mm-hmm. They may or may not get progressively worse, depending on how many of them you choose to read, but at least read the first one, maybe dip your tone to the second one, and, and then make your own choices from there. Yeah, look, I have to admit, I knew the movie was coming out, and I went back and listened to the first book as an audio book, because who's got time to read these days? I did on my last holiday. <laughs> I was on a cruise in the South Pacific, and I read it. It was so good. Remember the Those before times? were the days, my friends, <laughs> and now they're gone and never coming back again. So, look, June, for anyone who doesn't know, go and read the book. Yep. Or go and watch the movie if you haven't already done so, the, the recent movie. Or the old one, if you want to. If you want to. It seems to be a bit hit and miss whether people actually decide they should go and see that or not. But I haven't. So look, essentially the planet Dune, Arrakis, is a spice world. Spice is the most important thing in the whole universe and the whole cosmos. Royal families are fighting over control of this. And on this particular board, in this particular planet, in this universe, one of six players will be around the table playing a different royal house or a faction vying for control of this particular planet Arrakis and the spice that it produces. This game is all about the people you're playing it with Mm. and the the people around the table. And for any listeners from the last episode when we rebooted our particular dice board game podcast radio show shenanigan thingamabob, you know that that's my kind of game. It's all about the people. It's all about negotiation. It's all about, Mark, let's do this thing together and we'll both benefit. It's and all about the backstabbing, Garth. Exactly. Let's face it. And that's what Dune, this particular board game, is all about because it comes across as a very tricky, very complicated kind of game. Mm. It, it will play out in up to 10 rounds. And in those 10 rounds, there are nine different phases that you're going to have to play through. That sounds like a lot. It sounds like a lot. And it is. But I assure you, dear listeners, that it's not actually that bad. Mm. You need to have someone who's willing to put in the time to read the rule book, maybe watch a couple of YouTube clips. And for us, that person was me because this game was high, high, high up on my anticipated list. I bought it. I needed to play it. We needed to play it around a table. Mm. So when circumstances allowed that, we did it. And oh my gosh, did we enjoy it or did we not? Well, let's get to that later (laughs) because I'll tell you what to do. So look, essentially what you're looking to do is control and dominate Dune by owning strongholds. As a player, you want to try and achieve ownership over at least three strongholds as an individual. However, there are alliances, and should you form an alliance, you want to try and control four of these particular strongholds. There's only five on the map. Mm. So that's quite a challenge that you're going to have. Now, this game, because you're playing as unique factions, they all have different abilities, they all have different things, and they all have different skill sets that they want to use in order to win. But we'll get to that a bit later as well, because mechanically... Let's go through those nine phases super duper quickly so that at least you can see it's not that bad. It's just not that bad, Mark. Are you sitting down? I I am sitting down here, Garth, and I'm I'm hoping you're going to make it it all okay. Absolutely. So look, the good thing is you'll sit down behind your, your little screen and you have your player board and you'll do what it says. You'll place some troops exactly where it tells you to. 
you'll have a certain number that maybe start on the board or maybe start away from the board. They're off planet. But you just follow your, your little player board. It tells you what to do. The game will start. You'll see, sort of see where the storm starts because this board, if you're looking down at it, is kind of like those typical 18 sliced pizzas. There are 18 different segments of this board. It's a round planet. How, a, how do you slice your pizza, car? Well, like most of us, 18 <laughs> slices. slices. <laughs> and the storm is going to always take up one of those slices. Mm. It's, it's a round board. It's going to move anti-clockwise around the board. And you'll, you'll choose where it starts by a, a, a thing. You know, a couple of players will decide and, and away you go. But look, on any given turn, you're going to start by moving the storm. And that's really quite a big deal because... Any troops on June, any spice on June that the storm passes through, Gonski, never to be seen again. It's just destroyed. And it is thematic, as is so much of this game, to the story, to the book, to the movie, because, you know, you're in a, you're in a desert planet, and it's just not just a bit of cloud, a bit of no. dust, a bit of sand. No, no, it's a massive storm which basically destroys everything before it you got to get the heck out of Dodge. Exactly right. So your troops are only ever going to be safe if they're in the rocky outcrops or if they're in their, their strongholds. So you do that, things happen. You'll then reveal a card and it's going to find where the spice blow is. So all this delicious, expensive and really, really valuable spice will just appear on another section of the map. Mm. Or will it? Mm. Because if it doesn't, you're going to have the old favourite Shai Halud, the giant sandworm, turn up. And that's going to trigger... A bit of a bit of a tricky situation that goes on because that's going to allow you to form alliances. It's also going to allow you to potentially break alliances, and and that is a massive, massive part of the game. Yep. We'll get to alliances in a little bit, but at least you know it's going to happen. Then you go into the Chom charity phase, but you have to say Chom, and essentially, if you've got no spice, you get some. Just so you've got a, a bit of currency, I guess, up your sleeve, because your next phase is going to be bidding, where you're going to be bidding on treachery cards. Now, there's always going to be the same number of treachery cards as there are players available, unless some players have already capped out and got their hand limit sorted out. You're going to bid on these. Yeah, sounds okay. Nothing too exciting. But you're not going to know what you're bidding on. Mm -hmm. You're going to be bidding on face-down cards, of which some of them are absolutely worthless, and it says so on the card. They are called worthless cards. Yeah, I must admit, I... Don't know that I've ever come across that in a game before. Yeah, I've come across some useless cards. Yes. But, yeah, where they're actually worthless and they say they're worthless and the whole point of them is to be in there to trick you into thinking that they might have some worth. It's Indeed. fascinating. It is. And you're spending spice, which is very hard potentially mm, to get also. on something. So anyway, that's the next phase. You'll then revive some troops because your troops will die. And they will die often. So you need to have some more troops come back. You'll then be able to move troops around, come and send them from off planet onto planet, move them around the planet, but only very slowly. Yes. Because you can move one army. Typically, you can move at one spot, maybe three, if you control a couple of strongholds. That allows you a little bit of extra flexibility. I was going to say, it's it's the pace of the of the movement of troops is very almost glacial even though there are no glaciers on a desert planet but it's almost like chess like where you've got to plan your moves a long way ahead although because they get dropped in from space they can just appear right there but, exactly but you've got to think really carefully about where because as you said you just go to that one spot 
That's right. You've also got to have the spice to drop them mm. anywhere. And again, spice is tight. Uh, you'll then fight nice. and fight and fight you shall. Because if you don't fight, you're not going to control the strongholds, which means you're not going to win the game. And then you will harvest all that delicious spice if you happen to have won a fight where there's spice to collect. Mm. We're already at phase eight. That's done and dusted. Phase nine is the Mentat phase where you just say, have I won? Has anyone won? Is anyone controlling three strongholds or four strongholds in the lights? No. All right, let's get back to it. Move the, repeat. move the storm again. Go round and round and round and round and round again. Yeah. So from a mechanical point of view, yes, there are these phases, but each of them are quite simple in uh, their, their individual step. There's only a few of them that are really the meat of the game. And yep. that's not uncommon in our hobby. Hmm. There are lots of games that you're basically glorified setting up for the next round, tidying up, removing things off a board, placing them on a board. That's all fine. But it has been, uh, a, I guess, a criticism of this game that it can be quite an overwhelming start if you haven't done this kind of game before, that there is a game with so many phases yeah. that you're going to potentially do 10 times. But I don't want to talk about the boring mechanics. I want no. to talk about the interesting stuff. Yes. The, elevates this game from just another one to something that I personally feel is fantastic. Mm. It is it is a game that should have my picture on the box because <laughs> it is that that much of a game that is my essence of, of board gaming. So mm. I want to start, I guess, with the factions. Now, the factions are what make this game so, so, so much fun, but also give you so much replayability so that you're not just going to play it once every year, once every two years and go, yep, I had that experience. That was fun. I'll, I'll have that experience again in six to 12 months time. Let's go and do it. It is all about the combinations, the relationships between the factions and how they can win you the game potentially win you and your partner if you are allied in the game, or potentially absolutely just destroy you. And I love that aspect to it. So you've got the six. We've got, you know, the Fremen. They're the, they're the natives of this particular planet, and they have inherent ability. They've got abilities to move faster because they know the planet mm. better. They've got the ability to not suffer the consequences when sandworms appear. They've got the ability to basically spawn anywhere on the map. They're everywhere. Because again, they just they've just walked there because they can, not with any rhythm at all, but they just magically appear mm. as these sneaky Fremen do. Now, that's quite a good ability to have when you're trying to find and conquer these five uh, strongholds. But it also comes with an inherent risk because spreading your forces thin is a dangerous, dangerous yes. thing to do because every faction only has. 20 troops, mm. which are 20 little bits, round bits of cardboard, 20 chits, and they don't go very far when it comes to battles. You don't necessarily want to have a lot of little stacks of people going around the, the, the board. You might want to have one or two super big armies and hope mm. that that's going to do the job for you. But battling is another thing. We've then got the uh, Atreides family, which I guess is, you know, is Duke Leo and Paul, um, which is kind of important to the whole story of Dune. Duke Leto. Leto. Oh, Leo. <laughs> it's been a long time. Duke Leon. So one of their major faction abilities is that when you're bidding for these treachery cards that I mentioned before are face down, you get to look at them. Yeah, this is just blows me away is that, Four or five or six of you, four or five, if you're in a six-player game, I guess, five if you're in a six-player game, don't know what you're bidding on. Mm. And then yet this one person does know and has the ability to either signal that 
to their ally if they have one, or even to sell that information. Correct. It's phenomenal because you're bidding very precious and hard to get spice mm. on a card that could be a make or break in your game, could be totally worthless and you don't know, but they do. Mm. So that's massive. They only get to look at it as it's coming up for auction. So they don't get to look at all of them and, and know what's going to be coming out at the start of the auction. It's only every card at the start of it being up for, for, for bid. So it's pretty spectacular. The other thing that they can do is they are the only faction who can keep written records about the cards. I know, that's crazy. Like, it's not like you have to go, oh, who, who got that card again and where did they, have they used it yet? Have they not used it? Like, you can write stuff down. I know. And no one else can. And there are already pre-made player sheets that you can print off through the, the internets, um, which allows you to just sort of tick boxes and mm. keep keep good records. The other thing they get to do is they have limited prescient, prescience, uh, which essentially whenever there's a spice that's going to appear, they get to know where it's popping up. So that's quite useful again when spice is what you're fighting for. Yeah. It's the currency. There's some other things there, but they're the main ones. We've then got the Benny Gesserit. Now the Benny Gesserit, their ability is crazy because they're like, I don't know, they're just space witches, really. <laughs> they you know infiltrate all the different royal houses, they're advisors, they get to know the ins and outs. So their special ability is that of prediction. So at the start of the game, they're going to choose a card, two cards, sorry. One card's going to be the round in which the game ends, 1 to 10, and the faction that's going to win. And if that faction wins in that particular round, they don't win. The Benny Gesserit win. That is just so crazy. It's like you thought you just spent three hours playing a game amazingly and you won it, and the space which none assassins just come <laughs> and say, uh, no, sorry. I, in fact, won the game. Yep. It blows my mind. And it's not that you both win. It's, no, the Benny Gesserit win and sorry. Thanks for coming. The other thing that they get to do is their spiritual advisors, which means that they get to infiltrate. So whenever any other faction ships their forces onto Dune, they get to put one of their forces in there for free. Pretty cool. They stick it in the polar sink, which is like this one central neutral spot on mm. the board where the storms never hit. You can't fight with anyone. Um, but the benefit of it is it's in the middle, so it's easily able to get to anywhere. It's like one space board. from everywhere. It is. It's fantastic. But, they're, they're, but they're, they're our friends, Garth. They're just coming yes. to pray for us and to advise us. Of course. They also have access to The Voice which is not a John Farnham reference, <laughs> but it essentially is a thing that allows them to, yeah. to do some more abilities. We've then got the Spacing Guild. Now, the Spacing Guild, they're the ones who allow any faction to to send their, their dudes and their dudesses, their warriors from off-planet onto the, the, the planet Dune. They're the space bus drivers. They're the space bus drivers. Now, the thing is... They're not going to move your soldiers for free. Mm. So you have to pay them every time you want to get mm. more soldiers on June. And that is an expensive business because, oh my gosh, you are going to be sending troops on there every single round because your 20 troops will die quite often and you need to get them back. They own, also get discounts, obviously, for sending their own troops on the board uh, because they own the buses and they don't have to, to worry about that. <laughs> uh, another really greedy... Um, Character is this emperor person. Yes. Now, the emperor really doesn't have many abilities. They're just, you know, the overlord of the whole universe and they control everything. And as such, they are wealthy. So anytime people are bidding on these treachery cards yes. that, you know, the Atreides can, can have a little look at, 
All the money that gets spent on those goes to the emperor. It doesn't go to the central pool or the bank. It just goes to them. And let me just say, as someone who's played the emperor, <laughs> that's kind of a sweet deal because yep. you get spice, spice, spice. And that is amazing because you will put it all to use, especially have if you have some kind of succubus as an ally who is draining <laughs> that spice from you over and over and over again. We've then got the Harkonnens. Now, the Harkonnens in uh, the books, the movies, in anything about Juno are not the good guys. Yeah. Spoiler no, alert. Hang on. Hang on, Garth. They're, 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 we are. No, no, we you're are, not. Garth, trust me. So, look, they are, they are not. They're mean. And their ability is all about being a traitor. So, essentially, at the start of the game, everyone's going to be dealt a traitor card. Now, each faction has five leaders. There is a card for each of those leaders. They'll be shuffled and they'll be randomly dealt out so that every faction's got got one. However, Harkonnens get four. Mm. Now, that's massively important because we'll, we'll tell you why in the battling side of things. But that's what they do. They also have the ability to hold up to eight of the treachery cards, which Ooh, are the ones yes. you bid face down. Everyone else only gets an option for four. So they are really, really sneaky. Because they have this massive amount of, of treachery and trader cards available, they're also really challenging to fight. Mm. And I guess that's the next part of this game. That oh, I yes, really, it's really the like. combat. And because it, it, I mean, this game is about the spice, but it's about control of the spice. And how do you control the spice? You control the spice planet. You do. By basically killing everyone. <laughs> well, not everyone, but most everyone well pretty much everyone and it's it's quite simple because you'll move you know off the space buses they'll um they'll deliver you onto june you're allowed to take a, a little step to an adjacent spot and then hey i'm fighting and this is my stack of soldiers versus your stack of soldiers mm. let's have a fight seems reasonable enough uh, i've got a number let's say i've got five soldiers in there you've got three soldiers in there woohoo i should definitely win this battle if but, only it was that easy game. yeah it's really not that 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 simple because you've got the ability to really alter the course of events and, and this is where these cards come into it but also you're not necessarily going to commit all the forces that you have because you might need to win multiple battles mm. or you need to actually have a guy or a soldier in reserve that hasn't fought so that if you win, you're actually still there in that spot to collect the spice. That's right. Dead or, bodies control nothing. Correct. So you've got to have a little bit of strategy there. So what you're going to do is you're going to basically line up and you go, okay, I've got this number. You've got that number. Let's hand out the battle wheels, which are these little cardboard discs that have numbers zero through to 20 on them. You're going to rotate the number to the number that you want to commit that number of troops. I've got five troops. I want to commit four of those. The battle wheel has a little indent in there, which is where you have to, not optionally, you have to put one of your five leader tokens in there. And leaders have an inherent strength as well. That might be one all the way through to seven, which is uh, Stilgar, I think, mm -hmm. the, the strongest, the leader of the Fremens. He's got a, a strength of seven, and that's adding seven to the battle strength, which is phenomenal. You're then going to potentially play some cards there that you may have. And there are cards that attack. There are cards that defend. And you'll choose that. And then both sides are going to reveal these cards. And you'll go, ha ha! Or you'll go, Because <laughs> <laughs> in the normal course of events, you'll add your leader strength with your army strength. The other player will do the same thing. Whichever has the greater number wins. All of the people involved in the battle from a grunt point of view, the soldiers, they're all dead. They go into the 
I can't pronounce it. Tilex, Lex, actually, actually, yeah. None of us can pronounce yeah. it. Into these tanks, they're basically dead, but they can be re- revived. Your leaders don't necessarily die. They'll stay in the section that you've you've got for the round, and they'll come back at the end of the phase, unless they were assassinated. Well, yes. And this is where these cards come into it, because there are cards that basically will either do poison damage or a different type of damage. Projectile. Projectile. And there are two defense cards that will protect you against projectile or or poison damage. If I'm playing a poison attack against Mark and he doesn't have a poison uh, defense, his leader dies. Mm. Yay for me. Um, His score's not going to take place in the battle. Going to go straight to those reviving tanks. And I will probably win. However, if Mark has played a traitor card and it happens to be the leader that I've played in the battle, I'm stuffed. Mm. I'm royally, factionally stuffed. Yep. Because the battle, it just doesn't take place. My guy's a traitor. My person's a traitor. The troops just go, eh, no. Yep. No. Uh, I lose everything. Everything's gone. All my cards. Battle doesn't take place. The soldiers disappear. And Mark just goes, <laughs> and wins. And that's where those uh, those cards are so powerful. And the fact that the Harkonnen have four of them instead of one means chances of there being a traitor out there is going to be much higher. Absolutely. Mm. So battling is fun and never predictable. Mm. What makes this all phenomenal, though, is the tying up of alliances. And this is what happens when you've got the spice blow and the the nexus event that happens where you can make and break alliances. And if you do that, alliances have rules so you can never be in the same spot as your ally. There are things you can't do with with each other, but they are are binding and you you have to be best friends. Yes. And you can't break that alliance until the next Mm. series of events where there's another nexus event, which may not happen. Because there's the spice deck, which is, I forget, it's about 16 cards or so. Yeah. Six of which are the worm, and the others are the actual spice blow where, you know, spice is going to populate yeah. on the planet. So you could theoretically go a game and never have alliances appear at all. That's right. If or, that Shai Halud card doesn't come out. Yeah, you can have them and, and your alliance is never going to be able to be broken, even if you wanted to. You just can't do it. Now, in the particular game that we played most recently, Mark... Mm. Um, we had you as Baron Marconan. <laughs> I was the Emperor. We had Trent as the Space Bus Driving Guild. We had Joel as the Fremen. We had Carl as uh, Carl Moore Dib yes. um, in the Atreides. And unfortunately, Leon was meant to turn up, but he had a, a case of Leon stuff <laughs> and couldn't turn up. But they do suggest that with five, you leave the Benny Gesserit out, and we yep. did. And I loved playing it with an uneven number because as soon as there was that Shai Halud card turned up, you knew that there was not going to be everyone in an alliance. We all suspected it was going to be Trent because no one can trust him as far as they can see him. And it played out exactly that way, even though he probably should have had an ally. Well, the the funniest thing for me was, um, look, let's let's jump to the end. You and I won in our alliance. We did. And that was because I was super sneaky and you were super rich. Correct. What a combination that was. Wouldn't that be lovely? And... Uh, Poor old Trent, he ended the game with some amazing amount of spice, like 50 50 spice or something, which is totally ridiculous. But the thing was, because another Shai Halud card didn't turn up, he never got the opportunity to get in another alliance. And 
he had nothing to do with all that money. He only got so many troops that he can do stuff with. Exactly. He can't be everywhere at once. Um, it was such a shame for him. And I want to I want to raise a point. So I have to declare this publicly. I have played the original game, the <laughs> 1979 version. Now, I didn't play it in 1979, but I played it early in my uh, time with the uh, the Hobart Games Society. Mm-hmm. Someone had an old, old copy, and when I saw it, I was just like, what is this thing? Is it written on parchment? And I played it, and it was quite good, and I remember it wasn't explained very well. And I was very confused, and I thought, there's something to it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. There's a couple of weird things in that. Back then, the, it had the battle wheels. Mm-hmm. They didn't change the battle wheel system. They still have battle wheels. They're a bit more functional, but they're effectively the same. They didn't change the layout of the board with the pizza slices, apart from the sort of the dotted line bits for the storm which you don't really need to worry about, so, but it's only a very slight change. There's quite a lot that they didn't change from that original game, and I think sometimes it does feel like this is an old-school board game. Mm. Now, the other thing about this game, Garth, that I don't think you mentioned, is that when it was designed back in 1979, it was designed by the designer of another classic old-school game from that time. Yes. What is that game, Garth? It's Cosmic Encounter. That little game. That little game, which is, again, one of my favourites, if not my favourite game, and, again, mentioned it in the last episode that we did. Yeah, and look, when you know that and when you think about how that game works with all those crazy alien powers that are all off the charts and you can join up together to win and you can screw people over, you can see how... Oh, someone's gone, hang on a minute, this might work with this theme because there are, there are elements that cross over. I mean, they don't feel the same, but just the whole the, the way the factions work, the way that alliances work, you can see that pedigree there. If you like, if you love a game like Cosmic Encounter, you will love June. You will, yes. And Absolutely. I do. And that's exactly what I, what I love about it is just this... Once you learn the game and it's not that it's not that hard, it's really not. No. You will find that the game actually goes. Yeah, it's not quick. You know, we played for four hours mm-hmm. and we could have quite easily played for longer. Yeah, I think we ended. Was it round six? Something like six that. Six or seven. Yep. Out of the ten, but it doesn't feel like that because no. every every single turn where you have some control, some agency, some decision to make. Yeah. You're also watching every other player because you need to. You need to be aware of what they've got. You need to be aware of the leaders that they still have. They need to be aware of where their troops are, what you suspect their cards might be, if they have cards Mm. or if they don't have cards. And then when you add in the alliance side of things, it just takes it to another level because I, as as the emperor, yes, I had a lot of cash. And I also had the ability to pay that cash so that Mark could keep dropping Harkonnen after Harkonnen after Harkonnen army all over the map so he could just start decimating the opponents. But also, if I was going to go into a battle, because I needed to, Mark would be able to go, oh, actually, uh, I just need to show you something. And he'd be able to show me one of the traitor cards for the opponent I'm about to fight and go, okay, well, I've got a pretty good chance that uh, I'm going to fight this person. Mark's just shown me a, a leader of theirs. So if that other player actually plays that leader, 
Mark as my ally can show that card and go, ha, 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 you're a traitor, yeah. which means I'll instantly win the battle. And that happened. And it's so exciting. Yeah. It's so tense. And and that's just our little faction, that's you know? That's right. The fact that, that Carl, who was able to see these cards and go to his, uh, basically to the table and say, yeah, um, who wants to give me a spice and I'll tell you what this card is, whether it's worth bidding on or, or not. Yeah. Um, and he would pick and choose, well, and say, well, well, Garth, you've got money. I'm not going to even take money from you and I'm not going to give you any um, inside information, but does anyone else want it? Yeah. And you can pick and choose. And I, I just really love that open real alliance and communication that's happening around the board it is it is absolutely engrossing yeah now garth um let's talk a little bit more about this when we talk about the second game and maybe compare the two um but what i reckon we should do now is give the people's ears a rest from us play a little track we'll come back uh and talk about the other june game but you're with the Diceman cometh on edge radio 99.3 fm well, i like to drink and i smoke too Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. Well, there you go. That was a Tassie Act, Dark Dunes, with Less Than a Lover. You're with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And Mark, Garth. it's time to switch from one space planet to the same space planet, but from a different perspective, as you tell us all about Dune Imperium. Did I tell you that this is based on June? <laughs> I just love that. I just love that track. I just love the, the whole soundscape of the movie. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy. I don't think we're going to have time to talk about it in this show because, you know what, we've talked about board games. But if you do get a chance to see June the movie, the soundscape that they put forward, Hans, Hans Zimmer, it's amazing. Anyway, let me tell you about June Imperium. A game that came out in 2020, designed by uh, Paul Denon. You may know his name, you may not. He designed a game called Clank, another game called Clank in Space, and another game called Clank Legacy, Acquisitions Incorporated. And then three artists with this uh, game, Clay Brooks, Paul Ramis, and Nate Storm. They've worked on all the Clank games as well. This is like a Clank Clanktacular. Um, and the, ga the game is published by Direwolf. Hey, you know them. They produce the Clank games. Oh, really? Yeah. So, and there is a bit clanky about this game, you'll see, but now they produce this game. This game combines deck building, funny that, thing is based in with the Clank people, worker placement, and a thing called force commitment. Ooh. Now, you know what? I was like, what is this force commitment mechanic they're talking about? So I clicked on it in Board Game Geek to see what, it, what other games might have forced commitment. Do you know what one of those other games was, Garth? Clank? No, June. Oh. <laughs> so it's like an auction, but it's with troops instead of money. So surprisingly in this game, you have factions. No surprises because it's June. And each faction has a slight variation, nothing quite like what was described in no. June the game. But each, uh, each faction has a ring. Hey! And each Is it person, a power? A ring of each, power? Each person's ring has a slightly different power. Um, and how you trigger that is you have a card with a ring on it and it lets you do your ring power. That go. It's exciting. But this is a game of shifting alliances, sound familiar, and using spice and soldiers to try and take control of Arrakis, the desert planet, and achieve power and glory. 
there are different areas on the board where your workers can go. There's alliances with the Fremen, the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild and the Emperor, where you can build up your alliance and that can give you access to slightly better powers, but more importantly, give you victory points. And you have some cards that have matching faction symbols because you've got to use the card with the faction symbol to get to the faction, to do the matching the faction to get the victory points for the faction. And each time you go to the faction, your relationship gets closer. You've got the High Council, which lets you do stuff like get money, get an extra worker. Love that. Everyone loves to do that. Get a temporary worker. And then you can, of course, because it's June, you can trade spice for money. Because in this game, unlike the other, you've got spice and you've got money. Solange? It's crazy. Yeah. Melange. Melange. Um, and then, of course, you've got the planet itself, uh, where you can go to various spaces on the desert planet of Arrakis. You can do a mix of gathering spice, getting water, getting troops, getting more cards, building your influence. Um, and did I tell you, Garth, that like most worker placements, I guess, you can, only one person can go to each space. So it's quite tight as far as the board goes. And then there's a little twist in this game, which not a lot of deck building games have, where you have two phases. You've got your agent phase, which if you like, that's your worker placement phase where you're putting out your agents, that's what your workers are called, on the spots. Once you've got rid of all your agents, then you have the reveal phase, where you reveal whatever cards you didn't use during the agent phase. You count up your influence, which your influence is not money, but it's the currency you spend to buy new cards. You buy new cards, and then you'll also have little space swords, I think they are. <laughs> They're a funny, strange little picture, but they contribute to the battle. Because it's June, you got to have fighting. And so at the end of each round, this game also has a maximum of 10 rounds, so funnily enough. Um, at the end of each round, there's a battle. During your turns, you will be committing troops to your base and then also from your base out into the battle. So you don't necessarily have to have all your troops in the battle. And then at the end, you have the number of troops, you have the number of space swords, which each space sword is worth half a troop. And then you have the intrigue cards. I love them. June and intrigue cards, they're a thing, obviously. Um, there are actually three different types of intrigue cards. You've got plot cards which let you do stuff during your turn you've got the combat cards that add space swords mostly and then you've got in-game scoring cards which give you uh, victory points if you do certain things first 10 victory points triggers the end game and then whoever has the most point at, points at the end is the actual winner now i've just pretty much described most of the the game there now i have to admit that's taken me like five minutes garth <laughs> compared to your 30, um, but you don't interrupt me as much as I interrupt you. That's so right. I appreciate that. I got a bit of a shock when I looked up this game on Board Game Geek, not because I saw who designed it or who arted it or who published it. Mm -hmm. but I get What a were bit, you shocked about? Well, firstly, I was shocked about the fact this was 
a nominee for the French Game of the Year in 2022. It was a nominee for the International Gamers Award Multiplayer Game of the Year for 2021. It was the winner, in fact, of the 2021 Bulgarian Board Game Award Expert Game of the Year. Wowzers. And in 2020, when it came out, it was nominated in the Golden Geek Awards, which are the awards that Board Game Geek do, for the most innovative board game, the best thematic board game, the medium game of the year, the best solo board game, the best card game nominee, and it actually won best card game of the year in the Golden Geeks for 2020. Do you have any idea which game was the best thematic board game winner for 2019? That's the year before all this? Yeah. Um, not off the top of my head. It was June. Oh, really? Well, there you go. <laughs> Double win for June. Two good games we're talking about. Now, I was a little bit surprised about how many awards it was nominated for, but what knocked me out of my chair and had me pick myself up is when I noticed the ranking of this game. Mm. So, Garth, did you know that this little deck buildery worker placement game that I've just described in like five minutes, it's the 17th best game of all time. 16th, apparently. Really? It's jumped up since last night. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm looking at BGG right now wow. and saying 16th. Well, look, I, paste, I pasted that number seven and that number one next to each other. <laughs> but um, it's in the hotness as we speak, and I think that's because there's a recent expansion that came out, yep. uh, the House of X or something that adds more factions, adds more cards. I think it's, it seems to be one of those expansions that does what expansion should, which adds a little bit of extra of everything. Yes. But... Is this the 16th best game of all time? Or if you're talking about thematic games, and it has been described as a thematic game, I told you there was a theme there. You did. Apparently, it's the eighth best thematic game of all time. And in, did this game sound much, like much of a strategy game? <laughs> to me, it's a lot more about tactics and less about strategy, but I'm going to keep picking that bone forever. It's the 12th best strategy game of all time, Garth. Yep. This game even gets a massive rating of 8.3 out of 10. Well, that's remarkable. Now, that is so huge. Now, let me say, we've played this game now, I think about three times yeah, in recent times. Least. I really enjoy it. Now, long-time listeners of the show will know I am a fan of the deck builder. I do like my deck builders. But this game, it's a worker placement with some deck building. The deck building isn't super strong, that's for sure. Um, so I like a bit more deck in my deck building. Well, this, look, you and I and anyone else who has the joy or the, the suffering of sitting around a table with us when we are playing a deck builder. <laughs> yes. You sound like a broken record almost every time uh, yep. with this one criticism that is over and over and over and over and over and over again, which is, how do you thin your deck? Well, you know, in a deck builder, you've got to control your deck. It's all about deck control. Because if you're just putting cards into your deck and then hoping they come out at random good times, hey, well, that's great if you like playing Magic or some of those other card games. Well, you've got a massive deck, but a deck builder, there's no point putting cards in if you can't get the crappy ones out. Well, that's it. Because the whole point is everyone around the table mm. in June Imperium starts with an identical deck. And your whole point of this deck builder is to get rid of your weak cards and replace them with super strong yeah. cards. So, so, yes, that is that is a big and justified criticism. Yeah, and look, let me say a few things. 
This game has great consistent iconography. It's really easy to learn and teach. It's well laid out and color coded. It's got some lovely big chunky wooden pieces for the water, for the spice, for the money, for the workers. And the art is sort of from the movie because this game came out before the movie. It was meant to come out just before the movie, but as we described, the movie was delayed. The art is sort of not cartoony, it's illustrated. It's drawings of the people in the movie, sort of. So Lady Jessica drawing looks a bit like Lady Jessica. It does. That was one of the first things I think I was disappointed about because this is such an iconic property. And when we were hearing all the time who was going to fill these roles in the movie, I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have these great still photos from the movie of these actors in their roles on the cards. And you don't get that. So like, I think that's, that's a missed point. Maybe a newer version will come out now. And the thing is, the cards are about 70% art with just a little bit of iconography down the bottom. So the cards have got so much art, they could have made it a bit nicer. Now... Don't get me wrong, I like this game, I like the theme, I like the shifting alliances. As I said, I love a good deck builder, and it doesn't have enough deck thinning. The conflict at the end of each round, though, means that everyone gets involved, which is great, because almost everyone is in almost every fight. And in fact, you can't afford to not be in the fights, because fighting is one of the main way you get victory points. There's a thing where you can get some banners to control certain sites, which give you bonus stuff. To me, that was all a bit uh, naff, but it adds an interesting wrinkle. But have I described to you the 16th best game of all time, Garth, do you think? Apparently so. But uh, look, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and just to compare it, yep. Dune, the game that I talked about for a couple of minutes, overall rank 213. What? Thematic rank 39. <laughs> Strategy game 131. Oh, my God. Now, we have both played these very, very recently. Mm -hmm. For me, there's only one board game that we've talked about tonight that actually thematically takes me to June, mm -hmm. to Arrakis. And, yes. that's, and that's my game. Yes. That's, that's the game where you're talking about each other. Yep. You're talking and allying and you're making and breaking those alliances. And it's all about that it's all about the relationships between the players on the board and june imperium yes it is a good game and i'll happily play it mm -hmm. but yeah i agree with you i don't I, I don't think it's that good i think the internet have got it wrong garth i want to say it right now i'm putting my fist down the internet have got this wrong there's no way this is the 16th best game of each time and i know the board game rankings on board game geek get gamed around because like this is so hot right now Indeed. because there's an expansion because the movie's out because of this other amazing game called june <laughs> it's riding on the crest of the june sandy wave but i, I just don't see it no. i mean as i said i have liked every game we've played to this you pull this out now i'll play it but it's not a great it's a good game it is not a great game it is certainly not top 20 material no when Modern. there are so many hundreds of thousands of games and so many produced every single year, I agree with you. And this and other I'm, I'm, June game, yeah. to me, I don't know if it's a top 20, but it, I would say it's a top 50 game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so I different. I don't understand it. I think this game, June Imperium, happily play it, but it's fine. Yeah. And it, it's good. It sort of 
skirts around the theme of Dune and you and you go, well, this could easily be a made-up world that wasn't already a, an IP um, or it could be set anywhere else doing anything else. You know, it could be, I don't know, a, a clank reprint, a clank reskin. Who knows what it could be? I think I'm going to have to save for another day my rant about what is a thematic game and what is a, a game that has a rough theme sort of stuck to it <laughs> because the first game we talked about where you're in the alliances, you're in the factions, the factions are everything in that game. They are. The story is all about the factions and the interplay of a faction. That's the thematic game. This second game where the factions just have a slight little wrinkle each they do differently, that's not a theme. No. and, and That's not a theme, people. No, and the, the, the faction difference might be you get a bit of water or you can visit a spot that someone else is already on. It's it's a mechanical thing that yep. adjusts it, but it doesn't make you go, oh, wow, I'm absolutely playing the emperor. I feel like I have infinite wealth or I'm playing um, the Bene Gesserit. I, I don't get that when I'm playing Dune Imperium, whereas with Dune, I do and will adjust the way I play the game all based on the faction I am, whereas with Dune Imperium, I'll use my special ability that I get as being a certain faction sporadically yeah now garth the other thing i noticed when i research this game is a lot of people are talking about june imperium and comparing it to another game with deck building and worker placement okay that's a little game called the lost ruins of arnak i know that game do you garth and in fact we have played that game only a couple of nights ago and in a surprising yet very very well planned <laughs> twist it will also be the game that we review on next episode. There you go. So we'll be able to give it a direct comparison. And if you go to Facebook, you'll see a lovely picture of us playing the Lost Runes of Arnak. But, Garth, I think we've run out of time. We absolutely have. Um, look, did I mention there's a movie called June? <laughs> did I mention it's amazing? I mean, I, I don't know if I'm a massive lover because I've never read all the books. I've only read the first couple. And then I've listened to it again. But for me, the movie was fantastic. As I said, the soundscape was amazing. The actors that were selected, the casting, I think they call that, was brilliant. The cinematography, I'm, I'm sounding a bit like Trent, aren't you I? Are. A bit of a, and Leon, he's the movie buff. I'm sure he'll talk about it next time. If you get a chance to see the movie, go and see it. It's fantastic. And turn the sound up to 11. Oh, yeah. But look, we better get out of here. So look, thank you very much for listening to our second episode back, episode 323. The last episode has gone live now on mm. all the pay available podcasts. So just search up Dice Men Cometh, you'll find us. We're also available on all the socials, Dice Men Cometh on Instagram and Twitter. If you ever want to email us, DiceMenCometh at gmail.com. And obviously, thanks very much to Edge Radio for the support. It's great to be back here every Thursday night. Sorry, every second Thursday night. Mm -hmm. So look, please check out Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And I guess, Mark, we are out of here. Until two weeks' time. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.